all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We'll be taking your calls during the hour concerning any kind of health issues or topics that you need answered. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. Or if you're not able to call right now, or you uh, want to email us later, you can always do that by sending those questions or comments to remedy at mpbonline.org. We also have a website that we have. Um, uh, we archive our previous programs, and a lot of people are sort of. Uh, able to join in on a partial conversation and want to hear the rest of it, you can always listen to any of our programs uh, here on MPB Think Radio Archive, but especially Southern Remedy. Uh, usually takes us about a day or 24 hours to put that up online, uh, and then you can go uh, to MPB Online and search for Southern Remedy to pull those up. So lots of good ways to access information. I want to encourage people to call early. We always have more time to discuss things and uh, give a little bit more time to uh, to questions in the first part of the hour. We just get uh, pushed up against the clock um, later in the day, in the hour. So uh, I want to encourage you to be that first caller to call in. Again, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. Hope everyone got a chance to vote. Wow, just really encouraged by all of the uh, the people that came out. Um, I tried to go uh, yesterday before I had a clinic in the morning, and I tried to go early, and the lines were just way too long at that point for me to make uh, my clinic appointments on time. So. I uh, came back later in the day and uh, fortunately just hit it just right, I think, at my precinct. Um, but uh, didn't take too much time, about 30 to 45 minutes of uh, standing in line. I know a lot of people stayed out there a long time, two, three hours, maybe even more. Uh, hats off to you for doing your civic duty that way. Um, uh, but it's uh, it was really encouraging just to see the turnout of everybody, regardless of how the vote um, comes out. Um, you really need to, uh, turns out you really need to be proud that everybody really cast their vote for all the important legislative issues uh, that were on the docket. And uh, speaking of that, uh, one of the things that I did in thinking about all the possible turmoil uh, that sometimes accompanies uh, uh, voting and, uh, and the uh, you know, emotional highs and lows of that, depending on who you voted for, um, I, I have taken a siesta from uh, social media for a while, so a couple of weeks off of Twitter, uh, posted my, my voting pick there, and then uh, sort of taken a break from that just emotionally. That may be something that you would think about, um, particularly if uh, you know that uh, that can be an emotional roller coaster to try to limit that. You know, we used to 
received news in different ways uh, that tended to be packaged in uh, certain time periods. And there was a delay that allowed for, you know, a lot of definity with that. And uh, uh, now with uh, social media and with all the electronic ways that we can access things, there's really um, there's there's really uh, a lot of uh, emotional overlays with that. So just keep that in mind uh, as you uh, go about your day to day and maybe think about some different ways for the uh, for the for the future. So uh, think about that. And uh, I also get outside, man. It's great, beautiful weather that we've been experiencing. I always try to take a little bit of time during the day to do that, although I am a uh, I am, uh, you know, inside most of the day, um, uh, try to get outside when I can to do that. All right, we're going to go to our first caller. I believe it's Rebecca from Jackson. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for calling. Well, good morning. Um, I just have a quick question, or uh, really, I would like uh, to hear your opinion on the Initiative 65, um, because we all went out there and voted. I'm a stage four uh, bone met patient and uh you know i just think a lot of people can't take the opioids um and i think that medical marijuana is a good alternative um do you know anything about how we're proposing to dispense this i mean i know the doctors will have to give uh you know a script for uh for certain uh maladies but how you know like are the, I don't, I'm, I'm confused. Or the, yeah, I think uh, you're not alone, Rebecca. There's still a lot, even as, as prescriptive. And I think everybody was, you know, even physicians were like uh, on the ballot. It was very confusing, um, right. you know, for most people to sort of navigate that. Right. So uh, right. there's mm-hmm. still a lot of uncertainties about how that's going to work out, um, about how it will be dispensed, where the dispensary is going to be what that looks like. There's a lot of people with opinions about what that would look like, but right now we don't have that ironed out completely. Um, Certainly there are some individuals that may benefit from this who have exhausted other means of analgesia or other, uh, you know, other side effects from uh, conditions like you have or a lot of other medical conditions. But I I think there's still a lot of uncertainty about what that's going to look like. And Um, you know, that's going to be the the devil in the details with trying to figure out how to do that safely and efficiently, uh, so that, uh, so that the, the, uh, potential abuses of that aren't there, uh, and that the people that may benefit from it, um, can, can do that. And part of the problem has always been, and I think everybody who listens regularly has heard me, you know, comment on over the counter remedies and other herbal remedies, there's a little bit of uh, evidence uh, for medical marijuana in some situations. In many, there is not. And um, I think that's going to be, in the medical profession, there are a lot of medications that we use that are prescription medications. And it's up to the physician in conjunction with the patient to decide which one of those medications may be effective for any one or more medical conditions. And that can be different from person to person. As a hypertension okay. specialist, yeah, exactly. As a hypertension specialist, I, I know that certain medications that by the data should work in the majority of patients, but for any one individual, sometimes it is a trial and error process. 
Um, so just because it worked for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for somebody else. So exactly. the challenge, right. It, right. The challenge is trying to find something that fits with the individual patient. And I don't, and I don't say that to totally, uh, throw, uh, you know, disregard for all herbal medications or other medications that aren't prescription medications or even prescription medications, but there is some difference there. Uh, that you have to sort of navigate that. So don't have a lot of the, I, I haven't heard at least, uh, Rebecca, you know, what this looks like in, in reality. Like, okay, if you're a patient and you go to your physician, they determine that medical marijuana might be something that would benefit you. Uh, what does that look like? How do they get to the dispensary? Uh, a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, we've got all this ironed out. I don't think from everything that I've seen, I haven't <laughs> seen that. And certainly... I haven't <laughs> It's going to be, it may be a little bit of a while uh, before we get the, 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 uh, the you know, individual uh, mechanics of that and what that looks like. But uh, Rebecca, thank you. You're a survivor. Uh, you yeah. are surviving with your disease and uh, my prayers go out with you. I know a lot of other people would say that too. And uh, hope is a powerful motivation for dealing with um, with cancer and other debilitating chronic medical conditions. So uh, totally my hope is that you would. You. Think, oh, absolutely. I think, I think uh, the will to live and the hope that there is a future um, really, really takes, uh, takes patients a long way. And, you know, I just see the people in the morphine patches and my friends who have passed. Uh, the morphine patch just makes them want to, you know, just gets rid of the pain, but yet they're not wanting to eat. They're not wanting to get up, you know, and so it sure. kind of numbs all the scent, you know, num numbs everything. So, you yeah. know, um, I, th I just think there's a better way to combat the pain with bone mats. And, um, you know, it's like I said, a lot of people have side effects from all the different pain pills and can't take them. So I'm hoping that, somewhere before I'm before I go <laughs> that they have something set up to where I could at least try it because I'm willing to um to try it but like I said you know I can imagine the pharmacies actually having marijuana in the pharmacy it would have to be a dispensary I suppose and um you know that's right. that's that's like three probably three to five years from now even though we've all voted on it and it did pass yeah, we'll and we'll just have to see how that works out. But um, Rebecca, thank you for calling and thank you for oh, thank sharing you. your uh, everything about what you're going through. And again, our prayers and thoughts go out to you. Thank you so much. Enjoy your show. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls about any kind of healthcare question or topic that uh, is on your mind this morning. Maybe it's new medication that you've been prescribed, want to know more about it. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis or maybe some symptoms. Doesn't have to be about you. It can be somebody in your family, too. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always send us an email if you can't call in. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, going to go to our next caller, Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good to talk to you. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to ask you a, a question about medical ethics, I guess it would be. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, an acquaintance drove me to an, an appointment up there at university to, with um, at UMC to see a neuromuscular specialist. Mm-hmm. And I've been waiting for a long time to get that appointment. So I'm in a wheelchair, right? So he, he, the doctor keeps talking to my acquaintance that's standing back behind me, sitting back behind me. Well, why is it? I thought doctors were taught in medical school to to focus your attention on the patient, not if you're on a stretcher or a hospital bed or a wheelchair, not to look over the patient, but and talk to the family that you're supposed to talk to the family, that the patient first. Is that isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yes, yes, Sue, that's what we teach. And I'll tell you, you know, in medical education, uh, this is very important to me. For 12 years, I was a course director for something called Introduction to Clinical Medicine. And it was in the second year of medical school. Medical school is four years. Um, And it it really introduced uh, young physicians in training about how do you interact with patients? How do you do all the technical things with the history, taking a history, being able to listen to patients? doing appropriate physical exams and beginning to learn that process of how do you put all that together cognitively to figure out what's going on with them and what do you need to do. So a good deal of that had to do with those interactions with patients. And it's not just what you say, it's the way that you interact with them in the room, body language. One of the things I used to say was the most important person in the room uh, is the patient. And even if the if the patient's not there, if you're with a group of doctors or a group of medical students and you're talking about what's going on with the patient, you should always do it in such a way as if that patient is right there in front of you. So, um, it, you know, it's very important to do that. And you mentioned some of the finer points of the way that you connect with people is to actively listen. And that means listening for understanding, not listening for what you're going to say. So you want to do that in different ways. Uh, we optimally, you know, we teach physicians uh, be on eye level with your patients. If you're higher than them in the room, uh, and I know sometimes I'm not perfect in doing this. Not everybody's perfect. It just depends on the different dynamics, but it helps to do that. It helps to make eye contact and talk with them. There are many distractors that we have these days, whether it's somebody else in the room or the computer, if you know, looking at the patient's record and doing that, um, it, it really you, you mention a lot of the things that are, are are rightly important to patients, and that's do you really care about me? Are you really looking at me? Uh, am I the focus of of what you're thinking about and what you're saying and asking questions? Uh, another area that this pops up is in uh, commu- the communication with patients is with interpreters. So it's it's very easy if you have an interpreter either in the room or now we have uh, we have ways to do this 
uh, electronically. So we'll have an iPad that has somebody's face there and they're talking and they're interpreting for us. You know, it's very easy for the physician to just talk to the interpreter and not to the patient or hearing impaired patients. So all that sort of plays in with that. So, so I think you're, you're spot on with that. And, you know, how, let me ask you this. I think you touched on this already. How did you feel as far as the competency of the doctor after you had your experience? I'm not very confident because he didn't even take a seat. He, he was standing up and, and uh, talking to the acquaintance. And I kept saying to him, doctor, talk to me. Talk to me because he should be talking to me and not, not asking somebody that's in the room with me. I used two doctors would say to the family, uh, will you wait outside for a little while and, and talk to the patient first, then bring the family back in or whoever, if you want them to. Sometimes there's some things you need to tell doctors you want to tell doctors you want to tell in front of your family or an acquaintance, you know. Sure, thing. sure. It's a personal relationship between the doctor and the patient. And so I was very disappointed. Yeah. And Sue, that's that that's another issue that, uh, you know, when we go in the room, really, optimally, we should ask the patient, unless it's a pediatric patient, you know, is it OK for everybody else to be in here uh, and to give them permission for other people to, to go out of the room? We do this also with with adolescent patients, too. So we'll do sometimes we'll do the history uh, with the uh, uh, you know parent or guardian or whoever else is in there, and then we'll ask them to leave to ask some questions. Uh, but you're right. So the ethics of this is, you know, we take an oath as physicians that we will treat a patient. It is a sacred responsibility that uh, patients divulge all kinds of information that they wouldn't to anybody else, and they entrust that to us as physicians. Exactly. And because of that. It's it's a, it's a, a, you know the weight is on us to make sure that we uh, create an environment where that patient feels as open as possible to share that with us so that we can agree on what's best for them and their healthcare needs. And I can tell you, I you know I, I don't again I don't do it perfectly, Sue. I am sure there's probably somebody listening that says, you know, I felt the same way when Dr. Stewart listened to me. I mean, I'm sure that has happened more than once. Oh, physicians are, you know, <laughs> physicians are, are, are fallible. You know, we're, we're just like everybody else. But I would hope, and I've experienced really incredible relationships with my patients where, you know, even seeing them for 10 or 15 years, being invited to their funerals by their family, being specifically involved, uh, being invited to the family gathering after that, that have really been so moving to me and hearing those stories from their family members and thank yous about that. It is totally worth it. And for everybody else who's saying, well, I'm not a physician in training. Why are you talking about this? These are the kind of things you need to gauge and, and remember in choosing your physician, because that's incredibly important. The empathy that your physician uh, or lack thereof exhibit to you really determines how well they're going to be able to treat you. They can be the smartest people in the world, and this is a problem, unfortunately, with uh, some medical students and, and people getting into medical schools. They may be the smartest people in the world, but if they don't have those kinds of skills to really empathize and connect with their patients, then honestly, they're not going to be the best physician. I don't care if they have a perfect you know, 100, 200 IQ and all kinds of different accolades that they've done. Those are all extremely important in treating those patients. So, Sue, you—you you, obviously this is um, 
I'm up on my my stump right now, uh, preaching right here to the choir. I think, but that's incredibly important. That's what we treat. Uh, we try to train physicians to do that. Unfortunately, there may be some instances where you know it's it's very hard and um, it's you know just uh, very very difficult to do that. But uh, Sue, thank you for bringing that up. I hope you're doing well, and uh, uh, that may be some information too that you can give back to them. I know you mentioned UMC. There is a number to to you know, give that information back. We need feedback as physicians. So I always appreciate if somebody says, hey, I don't think you really paid attention to me in the room. Uh, I need to hear that so I can get better in doing that for the next patient. Well, thank you for listening to me. All right, Sue. Thank you as always. Uh, the number to call if you have uh, a question or comment is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I think the cold has affected our phone lines a bit, so we've had a couple of calls drop on that. It was people who were um, trying to get through, and uh, so uh, please bear with us. We're trying to make sure that that's uh, as fluid as possible. But if you get dropped, please call back if you can. The number again is one eight seven seven mpb ring Let's go to Ellen in Eupora, Mississippi. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning. Thank uh, you for calling. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I just want to uh, say, to begin with, how glad I am when Sue calls in. Uh, she, I enjoy uh, her calls, and I like the questions she asks and the comments that she gives. And as it happens, this morning I have a comment to make uh, along with uh, what she was talking about. Um, <clears throat> so uh, this doesn't have to be uh, any porous. Let's just say that it wasn't. But I went to the <laughs> emergency room and two um, ladies, one who was taking my uh, blood and the other one who just came up behind her, and they started talking about another coworker, and of course I didn't like it because in the first place they're not supposed to be chatting while somebody's drawing blood from me, and uh, in the second place uh, talking about a coworker of all things. So that's all I want to say, and I would love for you to comment on that. And I hope uh, I don't want to get anybody into trouble, but I think it's an important. Uh, topic to talk about people in at grocery uh registers can talk uh i don't really like that either but when it's a nurse or a nurse practitioner who's paying attention to your uh or should be so that's all that's all doctor thank you ellen uh yeah so that's you know uh, sue brought up and uh, i agree any, any, sue's got some great things that she brings to the program and um I, that's why I always say I, I, in my experience on Wednesdays on Southern Remedy, you know, the, the great thing about the program is people bring their real problems to the program and share them. And it resonates with so many of our listeners. So, um, so that's, that's certainly something we love to hear and love to see. So um, I encourage everybody to do that. If you haven't called in, please, please do that. But back to your comment, Ellen, uh, you're talking about a couple of things that are really professionalism and, uh, you know, not professionalism is an, again, it's one of the things that I've talked about, uh, formally taught on formally in medical school and not that I'm an expert on it, but it's something that I'm passionate about. 
Um, we profess, if you're a professional, you profess to do something. And again, it goes along with the oath that we take as medical, medical professionals, whether you're a nurse or a physician or otherwise, you should act accordingly in certain ways. So it's not just a job where you come in and get a paycheck or clock in and clock out. We profess to do things for our patients in ways that go above and beyond what we would normally do if we were doing jobs. And certainly anybody wants to be tr uh, treated professionally in any kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, any kind of interaction you have with somebody in the work environment. Um, but it, it's certainly in medical uh, situations, people want to be treated that way. And, you know, blood draws are one of those areas where I hear many times patients say, I just feel like that I was an animal being sort of shoved through things. Um, and I, I certainly understand that because of what is said and what is done. So it's very important that you communicate with patients about that. And some of the things that we've tried to do in our clinical situations is to talk to everybody. We're all a team. And uh, from the time that a patient enters the office or enters the hospital emergency room, wherever, um, that is our patient. And we feel like that that's not just a customer coming in a fast food restaurant or it's another situation. We want to treat them the same way we would treat, uh, we would expect it to be treated uh, or that we would treat our family members. So the golden rule definitely applies here uh, in ways that it might not for certain other professions. But um, respecting that person as a person and not a disease, um, treating them with respect and honorably in that process, all of those things are things that we, we want to do. And again, you know, I just took uh, my, my son's car in uh, to get fixed um, to, to a local dealership. And after uh, we picked up the car, paid for it and everything and got everything fixed, um, a few days later, I got an email to evaluate that process. And we do have those for most every hospital system, every clinic. They have ways to do that. If they don't, then I'd encourage you, if you have a negative experience and a positive experience, we need to know what we're doing right. That helps us to improve. And there's ways to do this. Actually, hospital systems uh, most of them have an office in larger hospitals of patient experience. And this is something that really interacts with, you know, how those questions of how are we treating our patients? Uh, because we want to do that professionally. So, Ellen, I totally agree with you. Uh, resonate with that. Again, that's one of the things that you can judge your health care that you're getting um, and decide if it's best for you. And certainly that's an aspiration that all of us should have in the medical profession to treat everybody professionally. <music> I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Sunday Morning on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Great questions about the interactions with physicians and medical professionals and patients. Uh, one of the subjects I love to talk about and uh, teach on from time to time, some of those aspirational things that we try to to teach and instill in young physicians in the medical um, medical uh, clinics, hospitals, everywhere that takes care of patients, because this is a sacred duty. That's the way at least I look at it. It's a sacred duty to take care of people that way. We don't always get it right, and we need feedback about how to do better, but it's certainly an extremely important, and it's not planted by superior medical knowledge uh, or treatment plans. Uh, it's really what it boils down to is the relationship we have with other people. Um, and again, that's a sacred relationship that we have. Let's go to uh, Mary from Fairhope. Good morning, Mary. I have a kindred complaint. And you inspire me to finish writing the letter. I see a cardiologist. Uh, he's one of my favorite doctors. I'm crazy about it. But. The last time I went for my semi-annual appointment with him, I wound up seeing his PA. I saw two nurses, I did a cardiogram. I had no complaint with these people, and I'm sure they qualified. That's not who I went to see. I went to see and be seen by, more important, the cardiology expert who has specific training in one of the things that's matter and to be shunted off to a PA. I don't like, and I had that same sort of thing happened with my PCU. And I, uh, I had that the cardiologist letter of complaint. Yeah, Mary, Mary, you're you're cutting in and out a little bit. I did hear the first part of that. Let me. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm gonna go ahead and comment a little bit. So, um, yeah, that's a that's an issue, too. I think I mean, it really goes down to expectations. So, um, you know, if you if you particularly to specialists, if you're referred to a specialist for a condition, uh, you mentioned a cardiologist uh, and uh, a lot of times their clinic will be set up so that they can see people in a timely manner. They may be set up to have a team of people that see you. You might see the cardiologist first and then see their nurse practitioner and maybe they flip-flop. Sometimes we have similar situations in our clinics um, uh, just to make sure that patients are seen. I think the biggest thing that I hear for feedback and complaints about people is not knowing what to expect when you go into a situation like that. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there are some times where you just want to see one person. Like, can I just see my cardiologist uh, and not see other people? Um, and again, there may be certain situations I know for myself now, because of the other hats that I wear, I love seeing patients. I love teaching in a, in a clinic environment with uh, medical residents and students. Um, but I am not available as much as I would like to be from the patient care standpoint, because of the important duties that I have and work that I have in overseeing other things educationally. So, um, you know, and I'm trying to be upfront with patients about that. And when I have switched roles, I try to make sure that they understand the expectations. As a patient, that may be one thing that you ask. When I see my cardiologist, what can I expect? And if I follow up with them, what's that going to look like? Am I going to see a nurse practitioner? Am I going to see 
the uh, cardiologist. And then when you go to the visit, you can ask those kinds of questions. And I've found that that's, it's really the lack of expectations and the lack of communication around that. Well, how does their clinic work? When I call in, uh, um, will I get my physician every time? Will it be their nurse? Will it be somebody else? Will it be a physician's assistant? And I can't tell you, I, the, the care that I've been able to give to patients, in, in, at least in my view, has been um, enhanced tremendously over the years by having uh, a team of people, not just nurse practitioners, but, um, but pharmacy, uh, pharmacists uh, and nursing um, that really have reached out. And, and it's so complex to, to take care of patients, to deal with all the data that comes in. You really have to have that team of people to do it. But I, again, I think a lot of that has to do with expectations. So thanks for bringing that up. Sorry we had a little bit of, of difficulty hearing you and I had to cut you off there, Mary, but I think that's a, an excellent point to bring up. This is a Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Let's go to Charlie in Mobile. Good morning, Charlie. Are you there, Charlie? Oh, did we lose you, Charlie? You might have to put Charlie on hold and come back to them. Let's do that. Uh, I believe Christine in Biloxi is waiting. Good morning, Christine. Uh, good morning, doctor. Thank you for calling. Um, hey, so I just had a, um, a quick question because um, I noticed a lot of the theme of today's questions were around patient uh, doctor relationships. And I was just wondering, I'm a, a younger listener. I'm in my 20s. A lot of people in my age group don't have primary care physicians, and everybody that I know that's my age, you know, if you get sick, you go to urgent care, you go about your day. But um, I was wondering if you had any advice on specific questions as a patient that we should be asking when we're trying to establish a primary care doctor. Oh, that's excellent, Christine. Yeah, so um, just because you're young doesn't mean you need you don't need a primary care physician. It's certainly as a and you know if you look at different um, different ages in the population, there are some things that really you tend to be pretty healthy in your 20s, but not necessarily. And there are some things that you need to have ongoing you know care for. Um, I'm not against um, you know uh, having acute care uh, through acute care clinics. I think that's fine. There are a lot of advantages, though, to seeing the same person every time that can follow you over time. It's a whole lot easier to know what's going on with somebody and the nuances. I, I can't tell you after I've seen somebody, you know, five, six times, five or six years, um, there are subtle things that you know about that person and can pick up on that you may not can otherwise. So I'm a big fan of having continuity of care with the same uh, person with the same team over time. And again, we just got through talking about the team. Sometimes my nurses will say, Mr. So-and-so's not looking too good today. You know, there's just something about him that's a little bit off. You might want to uh, ask him um, uh, ask him about, uh, uh, about that. So um, I think that's important. Now, the questions to ask is, what kind of services do you have for somebody my age um, and can I see you for both routine preventive care, which in your 20s tends to be once a year um, just for a routine checkup, uh, depending on your insurance, it may pay for different things. Uh, and then what happens if I get sick? Can I come into that clinic? What do you, you know, what kind of services do you have there? For, for a woman, um, certainly women's health is a question you would ask too. 
Do they do routine women's health screening, um, uh, uh, gynecological exams if that's needed? And if not, you know, that may be another visit that you'd have with somebody else and you may just want one person doing all of that. So those are all, you know, conditions that you'd want to uh, at least uh, be aware of. And if you know that you have any other risk factors, if you have a, you know, a, a family history of heart disease at an earlier age or in your family, or if you've got known medical problems that you're dealing with, would they feel comfortable treating you in those situations? So uh, those are the kind of things I would ask for a primary care person, because really it's not just about can they, um, you know, can they treat the diagnose and treat you for what you have at that moment? Can they anticipate what you would need and do that over a longer period of time? So to me, those, those are the important questions to ask about that um, in, uh, in choosing somebody as a primary care person. And for somebody in their 20s, you know, again, um, depending on the comfort level, a lot of OBGYNs would do that as sort of a one-stop shop. In fact, we've, we've participated in some, in some training and some updates for OBGYNs to prepare them for that. I know a lot of health insurance companies are moving in that direction. Family medicine. Uh, somebody that's trained like me in internal medicine uh, or med feeds, um, those are all areas that certainly would provide primary care uh, over the long haul. And and to have the ability to really get you to where you need if there's, you know, if there's some specific things where you need to see a specialist. So that would be the questions that I would ask. So thank you, Christine, for uh, for calling uh, for that. And I think we're going to go to our next caller in there, right, Kevin? So, and this is uh, Charlie in Mobile. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Thank you for calling. We got you there. I'm afraid we, I don't, I'm not sure what happened before. No telling. I'm in a situation, I've uh, seen a GP and then I've been passed on. We exhausted testing and then went on to uh, internal, not internal, it's a uh, infectious disease. Internal doctor. medicine? Oh, infectious okay. okay. Uh -huh. And he gave me a pro prognosis and now I'm trying to get the, uh, an attending physician statement filled out with uh, an application for disability benefits. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to do this for over a month now. And I finally got both of the nurses on the phone today at the same time, not the same time, but within the hour. And both of them are st stating, stating that the doctor does not fill that paperwork out. So, so disability is one of those areas that it depends on the, the situation and what you're being considered for disability and who is seeing you that and you mentioned a situation that sometimes it gets confusing so if you have a, a GP a general practitioner uh, primary care physician that's seeing you and then you're referred to a specialist for that reason that you're looking at, at disability then sometimes that would that would transfer over to that specialist in your case infectious disease but if it's depending on what it the specifics of that are then you might, um, you might, they might defer you to an actual disability assessment clinic. So there are clinics that are around that do that. So if they're batting you back and forth and saying, you know, we don't do that or we're not qualified to do that, then you might ask them to do that or look that up and they can have an objective opinion. They'll probably ask for a lot of the medical um, records and they basically, that's what they do. They do an assessment, but in in particular, if it's assessments that have to do with functional capacity of what you can do physically, then um, a lot of physical medicine and rehab 
um, uh, physicians do those. Uh, and then there's some other, there's other specialties that do those as well. So it just depends on the situation of what they're asking for disability for, even though for a lot of clinics, it's just, you know, they, they want whichever physician on the paperwork, they want whichever physician that's treating you for that. But it may be a situation where you're dealing with that. So if you're getting a lot of pushback and they're not really, they're saying we're not the ones, then you may want to go with the sort of an independent person. Go ahead and get all of your medical records, take them with you to that or send them ahead of you, and then they can make that assessment. And and disability too, it's, an, it's a, the medical part of it is what can you do based on what you have? But, you know, I try to tell patients this too, like I can fill out the forms. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to get disability or not. That's a determination by external people that look at that. So that's, that's important to keep in mind too. Well, this, this is from an insurance company and she's ready to, or she says, all I need is a doctor's signature and fill out the form. It's just a checklist. This isn't going through federal government anything. Yeah, and it's, again, I don't, you know, I can't speak for those individual physicians at either one of those clinics, but if they're not able to determine that, you might be better served just finding an external, you know, either another physician or, or somebody who's, uh, who does sort of disability exams um, to determine that, and then they can get all that information. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Witte this morning answering your questions and calls about any kind of health questions that you have. I want to thank everybody who's called so far. I'm going to go to our next caller, Ronnie from Sautillo. That's hard for me to say, Ronnie. Correct me on the correct pronunciation of that. Well, it is Sautillo, the hometown of somebody named Ronnie Agnew. I've heard of him anyway. Um, uh, anyway, I, I did uh, have a quick question. So if your name is Jimmy Stewart, does that mean you're an acting physician? <laughs> That's good. I'm, I don't think I've ever had that particular question. I can tell you over the years, I've certainly had people, you know, ask me about that. Unfortunately, you know, the younger generation has, uh, they're not really kept up with who Jimmy Stewart is as an actor, but that, um, uh, the best question I ever got uh, wh- uh, about my name was I was a medical student and uh, and I was in uh, in with a surgery. I was scrubbed in. And usually for medical students, they're going to ask you about the anatomy and what you're seeing and different things. 
And um, the, my attending physician asked me how many movies I could name of, of, of that Jimmy Stewart was in. And of course, I was a, I was a fan, so it helped out. So I named about five, and then he stopped me. And then we went around the room. So we got up to about twenty different movies of Jimmy Stewart. Uh, but it's it's a nice name. I wasn't named directly after him. I'm actually a junior, so I'm named after my dad. Um, but uh, and he wasn't named specifically after the actor. But it's it's a nice one. It could be much worse, in my opinion. Well, I do have a comment. Uh, an earlier caller was talking about seeing a physician's assistant or a nurse. Um, I've had cancer and kidney removed, and I've had uh, had to have a hip replacement due to an accident. And I'm finding a lot of times a physician's assistant is more knowledgeable and can help me more than talking to the physician. Um, no offense. <laughs> but um, Oh, none, none taken. None, none taken at all. You know, they have maybe a little bit more time to talk to you. But anyway, um, my comment is my only problem with that is I have a substantially higher copay if I say, quote, specialist, unquote. And it kind of irks me if I see the, a nurse and I get billed for seeing a specialist. Um, that, yeah. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think it's a little bit um, not quite right, I guess. Now, I'll hang up and let you get the comment on it. Thank you. Sure, sure. Thank you, Ronnie. Yeah, so uh, two two comments on that real quick because we've got a, a few more minutes left in the program. But uh, again, I am a big fan of team care, and this is the way that I trained. This is the way that I practice, um, particularly with pharmacists, PharmDs, and pharmacy students in our office. We um, certainly rely on them, and and honestly, we've got great data to support, uh, you know, locally with what we've done with our model and uh, with other models that if you integrate care like that in a very distinctive way um, and, and very intentional about that, then you can improve patient care uh, and patients love it. I mean, some of my patients would rather speak to our pharmacists than they would us a lot of times, and that's fine. I am fine with that. I'm not uh, you know, offended by that in any way. So I do think as complex as medical care is now, there is a role for integrated care with a lot of people who have expertise in those areas. And as Ronnie said, a lot, sometimes they may have a little bit more time. As to the billing question, so billing is very complicated in America. It's, um, it is determined by different uh, levels of expertise uh, by the individual but as he said, sometimes you'll get a bill for the specialist in a specialty clinic, but it you didn't see actually the doctor. You saw either the physician's assistant or somebody else. So depending upon some of those other professions, they bill underneath, so to speak, the umbrella of, uh, of supervision of that physician, um, particularly physician's assistant. So even though you didn't see them, that visit is being supervised and there may even be uh, that physician that's looking at that or discussing that with the physician's assistant later on. So there are some nuances to that about like, well, why am I getting this bill if I'm not actually seeing the physician? Because they're still involved in that care. It just may be at a level that you don't see that's behind the scenes. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.